young adults, a book podcast where we review books. But this is our special bonus end of 2019 episode when Kira and I are going to be discussing our year in book. Yeah, it's a bonus episode. So we're just going to do like the books that we read during the year and our favorite ones. Yep. And I read 45 books this year. So I have a lot of a lot of books. I think I'm still on 35, maybe 36. I didn't actually check yeah. <laughs> <again> <laughs> before recording. Uh, you really got up to your numbers. You were worried you weren't gonna get to 40 yeah but then right at the end I like really I, I got lots of books in right near the end because uh I stopped doing anything else except read not like purposely just to hit the numbers I just went in through a through a phase because the reason my numbers are weird is because I was like oh I definitely read a book a week so I'll try for 50 books but then as I was doing it what actually happens is like I won't read any book for two weeks and then I'll read four books in a week also, you were on holiday. And I was on holiday, which really did help with yeah. catching up on my numbers. Where do you want to start on the on the books we're going to chat about? Um, I'd like to know what your favourite book you read for the podcast was. Oh, my favourite book for the podcast was probably Tuesdays Are Just As Bad by Kathleen Leahy. No, it's not Leahy. What? He tweeted us and said that we pronounced it wrong. Did he? His friend, he tweeted about the, that we did the the book and then his friend was like wild that they pronounced your name that right way it's Lehi. Kevin Lehi. this is actually really interesting that's also my favorite book that you read for the pod is it yeah so i put down tuesday they're just as bad by Kevin Lehi. i love every aspect of this book like obviously there's books with aspects that i've loved more but there's just so many factors in tuesday's that go into it being amazing. The Irish humour, the characters are so compelling and realistic, the extremely dark subject matter dealt with in such a light way, the goth teen. You're just listing all the reasons I had for it being my favourite. I I also really enjoyed that while the main character clearly had a lot going on with his depression and being followed around by his own ghost, that everyone else in the book also had their own stuff. They weren't, it wasn't just like, oh, we all need to like, not have anything going on because this one kid has stuff going on and also it touched on a lot of different things like the the goth girlfriend in it Aoife was um also black and so like racism was a part of it which was really nice to see racism is not nice to see but it was good to see it like touched on within like an Irish book where it's not touched on a loss Mm -hmm. um so yeah no it was a really good read and actually over christmas several of my little cousins who are teenagers themselves told me that they'd read this book recently and really enjoyed it so they're between the ages of like 13 and 16 um so it's also a good book that's really opening up topics of like discussion yeah for actual irish teenagers it's doing good work good job kathan good job kathan lahey yeah (laughs) Uh, what was your favourite book for the pod that you read? I had to have a little bit of a think about this and I think it was Turtles All the Way Down. Interesting. So it wasn't an easy book to read. Yeah. In fact, at times it was quite difficult, but it was really worthwhile. So like this is very much like the opinion of me right now. Mm-hmm. Like perhaps if you asked me in another month's time, I'd, I'd think differently. Like, you know, the most reasonable the most readable easy books to read were like Never Bite a Boy on the First Day or like Geography Club but like Turtles All the Way Down was just so good (laughs) 
Um, I find I resonate a lot with John Green's worldview and his mindset. Like I, I try not to have parasocial relationships. It's not healthy. But a lot of the time when I hear him say a thing, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how it works for me as well. So to have a whole book where he's discussing like his OCD and anxiety. Yeah. And his, it is, you know, obviously through a character and it's a mentally ill character with a different mental illness than I do have. But to have the kind of thought spirals explored and again, like the nature of self, which is always one of my favorite themes and the nature of connection and the way that she is continuing to manage her illness and there's no magical fix. It's really good. It's a really nice, honest book. Good. I'm glad. Because John Green can't write fiction. He has to set things in places he's been. Yeah, I'm, I love that in that book, they keep going to a, a dairy queen. Or they keep going to a dairy queen because when he was writing, there was a dairy queen across the road from him and he was like, they'll go there. Yeah. They'll go there. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> um, what was your... What was your favorite book I read for the pod? I think that the book that you read that I was the most interested in was probably Turnabout, which we only just did for mm-hmm. the Christmas one. And it was so good that when you asked me to return the book to the library, I then read the book. Oh, what did you think? I really enjoyed it. It was a nice short read. Mm. Probably helped. But no, it was really good. I liked the the concepts in it. And I thought that the... The pacing was odd, just because it's a very short book. And the plot is very and simple. And the plot is very simple, but lots happen. Like, mm, I'm kind of like, not a lot happened within the book. But at the same time, there was loads to think about mm-hmm. in what the ideas that they were giving. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that book from a framework I'd almost like to emulate with my own writing. I like a short book. Mm. I like a short book that focuses on a topic like and isn't long and doesn't draw in complexities like we were saying that we love um, Tuesdays are just as bad because it has complexities in it and everyone has their own issue but there's something really nice as well of just being like this is a book about this one concept and we are going to discuss it yeah yeah Um, it's they're two different things yeah um in Tuesdays, a lot of it is just being like, just because you have something going on doesn't mean no one else does. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you have to look at people complexly. Mm-hmm. And that's like such a massive theme yeah. of YA books in general. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember? I think the very first book we did was, oh. Outsiders. Oh my goodness. I hadn't even thought of Outsiders. I was going to say We Are Okay, which was actually our third book. Mm-hmm. But Outsiders, like the whole of the book is just Pony Boy realizing that other people are complex people. Um, that's just, that's the book. It's him. He talks to one person and is like, oh my God, you're a complex person with feelings just like me. And then talks to another person and is like, you too are a complex person. And it happens him like five times. I mean, we make fun of him for that, but that is a realization you keep having your entire life. <laughs> Not that you forget that people are people, but it's so easy to get mired in your own life yeah. and your own problems that it's so easy to forget that people around you are also having problems until like you ask them about it. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and then you said that you had a least favorite book. I did. I didn't have a least favorite book because um, if I don't like a book, I just stop reading it. So I read, I tend to have an audiobook on the go, 
because I I like an audiobook. It's something to listen to instead of so I listen to podcasts. Obviously we have a podcast, but there's no finish time with a podcast. You don't feel like you've achieved something at the end. Whereas when you've listened to like your six or eight hour audiobook, it's over and it's done. So that's why I finished this book. Mm-hmm. It's called Kill Redacted and it's by Anthony Good. And okay. it was written in 2019. And the concept is that the narrator's wife died in a bombing on the London tubes. And the whole book is this guy morally justifying to himself the murder of the Minister for International Relations who's warmongering in a fragile Middle Eastern region led to the terrorist attack which led to the death of his wife because he's like one person has to be held responsible for this terrible loss that I had. I don't blame the bombers because I don't blame the bomb. They're just part of a system. I don't blame the people who trained them. They were also hurt. I decided the one person to blame is this one politician. So his entire book is him training up and deciding like how to justify to himself, writing letters to his therapist about how he is going to kill this guy. And then the twist in the end is that his wife isn't even dead. Does he still kill the minister? Oh, yes. His wife suffered a brain injury, so he thinks she's as good as dead. So it's stupid. Oh, it's, it's not that he didn't. He thought that she was dead and therefore did all these actions. It's that he knew from the start that she wasn't even dead. Yeah. That's it's ableist. A- it's, it, it's a lot of shitty things in one. Like, the character is a very bad person. And I don't know whether the author wrote him intentionally as such I think he did but I don't care super much it's a profoundly unlikable protagonist it did prompt some interesting thoughts on like how you can't be a simply good or bad person and how everyone is justified from their own point of view and like dispersive uh, reactions to things and how your influence moves so far outside your circle you can never really know but then his wife wasn't even dead that's like, actually I'm just wild. To, re- to re- avenge the death of my wife. Who literally is not dead. That's, I can't even. It's, <laughs> it's exhausting. Yeah. And like, you could probably say a lot about the kind of mindset which makes you a revenge-seeking retired school principal uh, who decided that his wife is technically dead now. But I just don't care for it it was a bad book i gave it three out of ten on my uh little spreadsheet in your spreadsheet <laughs> yeah what does a book have to do to get a less than a three i don't think they ever have okay if it was less than a three i wouldn't necessarily finish it and um, another book i read which was actually quite good was autobiography of red by ann carson and i also gave that a three out of ten because like oh this book has a lot of literary merit but it was uncomfortable and unpleasant to read. Like this book is, um, it's about a Herculean myth. There's a monster in one of the myths and it's retelling his story. So obviously his story is a tragedy because his story is about how a guy comes to the island he lives on and kills him Mm -hmm. and kills all his sheep and kills his little dog. And it's very sad, but it was like a beautiful story but it's tragic and like they give him a really sad backstory with like an abusive home and it's like 
What a beautiful list of pros. I hated every second of it. I don't... I disagree that you can be... That you can rate a book badly just because the content of it made you sad. If, oh. if you enjoyed the con... I didn't enjoy reading it. It was claustrophobic. I found it very claustrophobic. But I think that was meant to be part of us. Yes. and I. So she achieved her intention. Yeah, and Anthony Good achieved his intention of writing a very unlikable protagonist. Fair enough. That's true. Yeah. That is, those are all true things, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not giving objective ratings here. I'm giving my rating of the book, which is I wouldn't read it again. Do you have a least favourite book? No. Because if um, if I get three chapters into a book and I'm not liking it, I put it down and I don't think about it ever again. That sounds smart. I have so many books to read and so many books available to me that if I'm not enjoying something that I'm reading, I just stop reading it. That's very fair. That's yeah. very fair. I don't think I'd have gotten through um, Autobiography of Red if it wasn't so short. I don't think I'd have gotten through Kill Redacted if it wasn't an audiobook. Because it was just a thing I put on while I'm walking to work. I think, God, I hate this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So next we have, oh, what was your favorite book concept? I read a book called Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil Mm -hmm. by John Burnett, I think. What's the age for that one? It's from 1994. No, the like, is it a YA or an adult? It's an adult book and it's actually non-fiction mm-hmm. so what happened was this it's almost a travel book so this author opens with saying how he was a writer in new york um it was an era where everyone was getting into really really fancy dinners but he's not really a foodie so all of his posh friends would like spend huge amounts of money on like a tiny exquisite plate of food and he would just get bored of it all. So he started taking weekend trips away and he was like, it is cheaper for me to fly to another city and to just experience some of that and then come back to work on Monday. So he flew to Savannah, Georgia and he liked it so much that he ended up staying for six months to write a little overview of the town and how it was to live there and all of the kooky people who live there. And then someone got murdered. Why does this sound like a podcast? This, Because he didn't have podcasts. He was a journalist and he wrote a book about it. So it's this really beautiful portrait of a town and all the people in it and the society in it. But and also... It's definitely not S-Town. It's definitely not <laughs> S-Town. Yeah. It's a very similar concept because it's like the... It's like Savannah is like a beautiful old woman who's like past her prime but still dresses herself up nicely and tells everyone about her glory days when there's like ramshackle falling apart full of racial divides and classism but it's a really nice book it's got really compelling characters a lot of the characters are just strange people very strange people the the murderer and the murder victim were in a gay relationship. Um, there's like three murder trials because there's two mistrials and the person ends up getting... A, well, I'm not going to actually... Um, I, I won't spoil it, but there's, there's like a bunch of trials and then there's like mishandling of police evidence and they're like, how much of this is true? Everyone's telling their own version of the story and then voodoo comes into it. And because it's just this guy interviewing people and asking them how they think happened it's like well yeah this woman's point of view is that the ghost of the dead guy is uh harassing 
the town. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, and it's very atmospheric. Um, would really recommend for that, a holiday read. That actually fits in well with my um, favourite. It's not quite setting. So as much as format. Well, this wasn't my setting book. This was my concept. Oh, my apologies. The concept of a book. Of going to write a travel book. <laughs> <laughs> there just happens to be a murderer and you're like, I'm going to continue to talk about this beautiful city, but also there's a trial happening. Um, I think my favourite concept was possibly Sadie mm-hmm. or else the Sadie by Courtney Summers or perhaps The Binding by Bridget Collins. So Sadie is, it's a YA book, but it's like hitting on the on the older side. And it's about a girl who goes missing after her sister is murdered. And it's told through two points of view. So we have Sadie's point of view as she leaves her home in order to revenge her sister's death because she believes she knows who did it and then it's also told from by a podcaster who has been contacted by her grandmother who is like my granddaughter has gone missing can you you were a journalist can you help find her because the police aren't doing anything and he is like so every other chapter is Sadie's point of view as she goes towards the disaster point and then the podcast point of view as they research what happened after the disaster point and how they think that she got to that point and they try to retrace her steps so like serial it's kind of like serial it's it was a really interesting just because um true crime podcasts are such a such a massive thing at the moment and things and it was interesting to see the it was interesting to see that media link it, leak into this media, into like written media. Mm. And I think that they did actually produce, like it's all fictional. Yeah. But I think that they did actually produce a couple of like actual podcast episodes to go with this. That's really cool. It's very, it's very cool. Like as a format concept. It's reminding me of a stand-up bit I saw recently by Sarah Pascoe, where she went on a whole thing about um, how men are now buying grooming products and we all fooled men into grooming by making things smell like sandalwood because they're like, I smell like a shed. How can that be girly? And she was like, but they're fools because if you want to attract a woman, a straight woman, you should not smell like a shed. There's spiders in there. You need to smell like the one thing all straight women love. A true, true crime, crime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I also, it helps that I read it at the start of the year when I was more into true crime podcasts than I am now because I'm like, a year has passed. And isn't it weird that we all fetishize crimes in the way that we do? I also had that moment. So in the early part of this year, I also had a true crime podcast phase and I got over it. And now I find myself quite troubled by the the impact that the way they portray crime has on communities with crime in them. They are very diametric with their definition of victimizer and victim. Like obviously in real life, the person who is doing a horrible crime has probably also been a victim of many horrible crimes. And, you know, just taking criminals out of communities doesn't necessarily reduce crime because those criminals are also like breadwinners and emotional supports. And like deeply damaged people, but, and you know, people who have done bad things and should have a, some kind of justice for that. But you can't just be like, ah, he is a criminal. Yeah. You put him in prison. Uh, crime is a complex situation. And 
it is difficult to find enjoyment from it. Yeah. And um, yes. I think it's something to do with gender roles. It's something to do with how a lot of women are raised to see themselves as victims naturally and men as perpetrators naturally, which isn't how it is. And there are women who commit horrible crimes, but obviously patriarchy gives men more power to commit horrible crimes. And if you're raised in a way where you think, oh, I'm inevitably going to be a victim of a terrible crime, you might be interested in hearing about people who are victims of terrible crimes. Um, that does sound like a really interesting concept very interesting framing device for Sadie there yeah no it was I initially read it because I thought we were, I was going to do it on the pod and then after I read it I was like there's actually a lot in this book that I'm not entirely sure that I want to go into on an on a audio medium there's there's a lot of like her sister has been like- murdered there's a lot of sexual assault within it there's just there's just a lot of heavy topics within us and it was really good very well laid out but I was just like I don't necessarily want to discuss this I think I remember you reading this mm. and saying that you needed more time to process it before talking about it and then saying actually I don't think we should talk about it it's reminding me a bit of The Lovely Bones yeah. which is a book I read that would technically fall within the remit of our podcast but I don't think it would be a great one for it for similar reasons yeah. yeah. Oh, I do have a least favorite book. Yeah. But it's one that you read. Oh. And it's How I Live Now because yes. cousin incest. incest. Just listening to you talk about it reminded me of it, which is not hard to do because I think about it constantly. Think about it constantly. But as you as you were saying there like just difficult books, I was like, "Oh, How I Live Now. Cousin Cest. The not- war, anorexia, just so much going on." The cousin sass is not even my biggest problem in that book. <laughs> like the writing style is weak. <laughs> That's worse. Um, you wanted to do favorite book setting? Well, kind of. I think it it links in with most unique book for me. Okay. So I read a lot of classic postmodern 20th century Irish literature this mm-hmm. year. And by a lot, I mean like two books. So I read uh waiting for Godot and sorry I read Samuel Beckett's waiting for Godot which is actually a play and Flann O'Brien's the third policeman Mm -hmm. and they both exist in this very interesting setting which is a very liminal surreal mirror world that is rural Ireland but like for both of them you're like are these characters dead (laughs) so um And I think they are, but it's always very open-ended and you're not giving an answer. And it was like, oh, I don't know. I found them very interesting. It's the surreality of the setting and particularly the narrators are unreliable specifically because they keep forgetting things that they've already told you in a way where you're like, are you guys forgetting things or is like this knowledge being removed from you somehow? Like... Are you within your own control? Who is controlling this world that you are in? Like the seasons keep changing at random. Like the time of day keeps changing at random. Like in one of them, there's a house that is two dimensional, but you can go into it and it's a normal house, but it's a two dimensional house. Just a lot of very surreal stuff like that. I read Waiting for Gatto probably about 
10 years ago now. Um, and the impression that I got from it was that it was surreal and they do keep like repeating themselves and repeating themselves but slightly differently the next time and giving you just like like slightly different phrasing and things but it reminded me a lot of a person with Alzheimer's and also I felt like it had been condensed so that this was one meeting that was happening at one time but I also felt like it made more sense if do you know when you're telling a story and you condense it down so yeah. that it all happens in one event yeah. I felt like they had like come to this place multiple times and had very similar conversations multiple times because they're always going to this place for the same reason and then they have a slightly different conversation because the season has changed or like something is slightly different this time and then they're telling it because they've had such a similar experience so many times they're telling it that it all happened in at once yeah. and that's why they keep repeating themselves mm-hmm. but it's more that like you and I meet up and we talk about the weather and then we meet up a week later and we talk about the weather and we say similar things about the weather yeah. but also slightly different because it's now a week later and so the weather has changed yeah um that was the impression I got of waiting for Gatto I wouldn't have drawn the Alzheimer's parallel but when you say it it's very true I did just over the holiday break read a book called the memory book by Lara Avery um in which a teen girl uh, develops a genetic illness that like has always been underlying but they didn't know about it in which she gets very advanced Alzheimer's at a, a very young age and then ultimately dies mm-hmm. um, so it is in my mind at the moment interesting very interesting yeah. for a YA book it was a very good book um, there's a little bit of inspirational disability porn in there but not that much it's mostly because it's mostly told from her point of view and for most of the book she is in denial that she's sick at all and everyone around her is like well we're not actually sure you'll be able to go to college because you have a very fast deteriorating illness and like we're not even entirely sure that you're going to be able to finish high school of which you're in your final year let alone go to college and you want to do that out of state in New York Um, and she's like of course I'll be able to do that there's there's no reason why I won't be. I'm going to beat this illness. But it's not, it's a fatal illness. Yeah. It's not a situation where she can like do therapy and things. All of her, all of the medications and all the therapy that she is doing is predominantly to extend her life and give her greater quality of life as opposed to cure her. Cure her. Um, so for most of the book, she is just in denial. And then near the end, people are kind of like, oh yeah we do believe that you would have done amazing and great things if you had been better but you're not but you had an amazing life up until now and you've been an amazing person and partly I'm like are you are you giving her glowing reports because she's dying and you're saying how great she is handling everything or is she actually handling things in a in a decent fashion for her situation because it's also from her point of view and her point of view is very unreliable because it's a diary mm-hmm. that she is writing in the moment for her future self to help her future self remember things as they are happening um, and she she does tell us she's like I don't write about the worst times because I don't want to remember the worst times so but I'm also she does tell you about things as they deteriorate but she doesn't want to like go into a lot of detail on it so it's hard to know just how sick she is as it's go it's it was a good very enjoyable book um it was heavy it was heavy yeah. 
it's reminding me, as you mentioned, of two other things. One, a book that I'm considering rereading, which is John Green's most famous book, The Fault in Our Stars, mm-hmm. um, Teen Illness and Chronic and Fatal Illness in Teenagers is a very interesting topic. Very heavy, but it really helps drill down into the if you're in this stage where so many YA books are about how to be a person, you're figuring out how to be a person and you've got no time left. <laughs> Uh, And the other thing it reminds me of is a neurology and psychology case study that I know of, Mm -hmm. of a patient called, I think, HM, who had a very unique uh, illness. I think it was a a virus that attacked some of his brain matter, leaving him with a very unique form of amnesia. And his diary is pages and pages of pages of him writing like Tuesday, 8.36 a.m. I've just woken up for the first time ever. Crosses it out. Tuesday, 8.50 a.m. I've just woken up for the first time ever. Crosses it out. Tuesday, 9 a.m. I've just woken up for the first time ever. That is very upsetting. Don't like it. If it helps, he remembers his wife. And he loves her very much. And also he was an award-winning pianist Mm -hmm. before he became ill and his piano skills are untouched. He still enjoys playing piano and he is able to learn and retain new piano pieces because they're a different form of memory than autobiographical memory. That makes me a little happier. Yeah. But I still don't love it. Yeah. No. And every time he sees his wife, he's like, oh my God, I love you so much. And she's like, sweetie, I just went to make tea. He's like, and I love you. you. (laughs) So what you're saying is I get to see you and you have tea for me. I mean, I once cried when my partner gave me a cup of tea. I mean, I was having a day, but I sat down on the couch. I was like, today has been hard. And then he came over to me with a cup of tea and I cried because of how nice that was. I was just like, this is such a nice gesture. Thank you. This is my favorite person. And he has tea for me. (laughs) That's very sweet. (laughs) Um, so did we cover your most unique book? Um, I think so. Cause I think Sadie was kind of the most unique. And then other than that, maybe The Binding by Bridget Collins, which is an, um, which is an adult book, but yeah, it's an adult book. It's set in like an alternative 19th century England and there is magic in this universe, but in limited ways. And one of the ways that it, it occurs is that you can bind a person's memories into a book mm-hmm. which is why it's called the binding and the main character it's told from two people's points of view and the main character we follow his point of view and then it's like part two when we follow someone else's mm-hmm. um and it's him going to work with a binder in order to learn how to be a binder mm-hmm. and it's kind of one of these professions where people are like we'd prefer not to think of this Mm -hmm. it's a cursed profession Mm -hmm. as it were when you bind someone's memories to a book do they not have them anymore they don't have them anymore so you're removing their memory of an event yeah so people go to go to them for like events that are very traumatic predominantly Mm -hmm. but it's this weird so he goes to learn from a woman who is considered a witch and while he is there and he doesn't know why he has to do this but basically 
it turns out that he got a binding, which you also don't remember that you've been bound. Yeah. He got a binding to make him forget um, this boy that he was having a dalliance with. Mm-hmm. Very serious. Very. They were like very serious about each other, mm-hmm. but he had a binding to make him forget that and he didn't want to be bound and he was kind of forced into it. And you, you're supposed to go willingly and you're supposed to give your consent for it, but he was like coerced into giving his consent. Um, and then it turns out that he has the binding touch, which is why he becomes very sick afterwards and then has to go learn how to bind. Because if you are, if it's one of those things where if you have the touch, and never participate in it you can live very happily but if you have the touch and then participate in it it's like okay now you actually have to participate in this yeah. forever or you will be very sick so he needs to do binding so he needs to do he needs to learn how and he needs to like be open to us okay and then he his a whole series of events and he has to go into the big city where he becomes apprenticed by someone else and they are like an unscrupulous binder and while they still need someone's consent they are aware that the person whose consent they have is being coerced into it so it's not true but they have technically said yes so it's really awful and he like works for very rich people who treat their servants entirely entirely disgustingly and like sexually assault them rape them and then binds them so that they don't remember that these things happened yikes and it goes on from there but it has a very nice romance between these two gay boys in alternative 19th century england that does sound very interesting as a setting (laughs) yeah it was a really good book it was quite it's a thick book it took a while to get through but it was really good um and i liked that Nobody really seemed to have enough information because they had been mind wiped. So he he gets mind wiped so from the binding so that he doesn't like remember his dalliance with this boy. Yeah. And then that boy comes for it binding himself and is like, you are here, boy that I love, mm-hmm. but you don't remember that you love me. And then the roles are reversed. Oh. Because one of them gets their memories back, but the other one has now been bound so that he doesn't remember the situation. And then they have to like... He's like, we love each other, but we don't know that we love each other. Do are you able to get your memories back by reading the book? Um, the book has to be destroyed. Oh, okay, okay. Are these books powerful? I can imagine a trauma object is gonna be yeah, evil so, magic. So if you are like an ethical bookbinder, you would never let anyone see your the books that you have bound. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you were an unethical book binder, binder, you could you could sell those books. And some people do it for like money and things like this. Like they'll sell their so so there are just regular books that a person wrote. Mm-hmm. But if you read a person's bound books, it's like being in their memory. Mm-hmm. So it's a much stronger like you are in the memory. Yeah. So the man that like sexually assaults his servants will then purchase their memories so that he can like read about it from their point of view because he enjoys the power trip. That's fucked. Um, and also one of the characters who's quite rich has a memory of like this idyllic childhood mm-hmm. that someone sold for money. Mm. Um, and then like there's sex books where like sex workers will sell their memories of doing sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they don't remember that they've done it. And mm-hmm. if you bind your memory then you don't have it so that man that like 
gave he gave up his idyllic childhood. Can he read that book and remember it? I'm not I'm not sure now. I think so. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure. But he doesn't have it. He, but he doesn't have it himself. Mm-hmm. So it's just very sad mm. in that way as well. And there is a whole economy that runs on this. Um, and it's considered like really gross to read someone else's depending so some people are like this is just an industry and some people are like that's a very gross and exploitative industry and our main character's family believe it's gross and exploitative so they're actually like really upset and disappointed when he goes to work for the witch but they made him bind his yeah it's a whole thing (laughs) that does sound like a very unique setting it's quite good um yeah oh also in terms of unique books there's another book i read called like water for chocolate by lauren esquival and it's a magical realism book but what makes it unique is um you know the way people like to complain about recipe websites having stories in them yeah this is the opposite thing so it starts out as a recipe she's like this is my recipe for christmas rolls uh, you have to put some salt in the thing. You need to chop some onions. If you've got a problem where you cry chopping onions, you should put a peg on your nose. My aunt has a real problem when she chops onions. She cries so much. For example, she was born because my grandmother smelled onions and the baby cried so much that the womb like burst and she flowed out of it. And there was so much salt in the house uh, that it was used as the salt for like years and years. And then she continued on with this in her life. And then every chapter is like this, where it starts out telling you how to make a thing. And then it becomes a short story. (laughs) And it's really interesting. Like there's magical realism elements. Like I said, for example, this child was born on a rush of her own tears that flooded the house and left salt deposits. But it's really interesting framing. And I really loved it for the irony of people complain so much about recipes online it has to do with copyright yeah yeah so if you tell the story if you put up the recipe with your own like unique spin on it including like this personal story then it's easier to be like i own this recipe than if you just put up the recipe and then someone else takes us also i would say it's for me and i may have said this before on the pod they remind me of lonely people at bus stops talking to you. I'm like, this is mostly an isolated woman who does not have the best emotional support in her life. And she's just telling you a story while she's teaching you how to make treacle brownies. Could you just chill for a second and let her tell your story or scroll past it if you don't want to? Yeah, yeah. Do. So do you have a favorite nonfiction book that you read this year? Because you read more nonfiction than I do. I have two very different favorite nonfiction books. Okay. One is The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo, which I listened to in audiobook form twice. <laughs> I Marie Kondoed my house a little bit. It's a bit notionsy, obviously, but as a cleaning method and a life philosophy, it's not bad. Her whole thing is that the things you own are real. And they exist as a result of choices you made in the past. And it is doing a disservice to yourself and to these items. And also makes it much less likely to stick if you're just like, oh, fuck it all. I'm throwing it all away. And it's much more likely to stick and help you have a life that's in line with your values. If you actually sit down and be like, I bought this cardigan 
because I thought I wanted to wear it but clearly I don't and sorry cardigan goodbye cardigan (laughs) and you know she has lots of little cleaning tips but it is really mired in a life philosophy that isn't quite minimalism but very much like if something doesn't make you happy why do you have it here it should be it should it should bring you joy or be useful yeah so like I don't particularly like my kettle but my kettle provides me with tea and I love tea so it's a useful kettle and I don't have the money to buy a nicer kettle so I'm gonna keep it and I appreciate the kettle for what it does it's a really nice philosophy it's obviously based quite a lot in animism because Marie Kondo used to be a Shinto shrine maiden and the Shinto religion uh, part of it is this concept that everything has its own little spirit everything has its own little soul so you know uh, a jumper that isn't being worn is kind of unhappy because it isn't doing what jumpers are meant to do but And you can just let it go because it's not happy sitting in your drawer and you're not happy with it sitting in your drawer. And it's about both developing an appreciation for practical things that help you and not just walking through your life like, yeah, fuck, it's a kettle. But being like, hey, this item helps me make tea. And also your happiness is important. How do you center it in your life? So it's I didn't follow her process perfectly. I did a bit of tidying and got rid of some stuff. It was helpful. And I just really like her attitude. Um, I think that my favorite nonfiction book was actually a kid's one. It's um, Shooting for the Stars, written by Dr. Nora Patton, who is Ireland's first uh, ever astronaut. And it was just really nice. It's a lot of illustrations because it's, it's mostly a picture book. But it just kind of like talks about how she became interested in becoming an astronaut and then how she went about like doing it and like what education she got and then how she went from there and all the training and space and things like this and like being in space and how exciting it was and it's a really nice book about kind of like looking at your dreams and then how are you going to achieve them is she an astronaut now yeah interesting Um, i didn't know we had an irish one sorry um so in 2017 she was chosen um as part of 12 participants to be a scientist astronaut so she went to space to do experiments okay yeah and it's really cool that is really and cool. it was a really interesting book and it was nice and the illustrations are really gorgeous um jennifer farley was the illustrator and they're really nice and there's a lot of like blue like deep blues and space colors mm. um and little fun facts and stuff it's nice cool my other non-fiction book is also a sciencey one mm-hmm. it's called a sting in the tail by david goulson he is a zoologist um possibly an entomologist i'm not sure what his exact exact qualification is but he's also a founding member of the british charity for the conservation of bumblebees ah. and this whole book is about him trying to reintroduce the short hair bumblebee to England because it was very native and very like common in England but with the use of artificial fertilizers and the high intensity farming that became common in the south of England after World War II they got they just got completely wiped out um but in like the 17 or 1800s some people exported English bumblebees to New Zealand so that they could fertilize the clover that was being grown there for the sheep so there are Kentish short hair bumblebees 
living in New Zealand. And so they're trying to take the ones that are literally descended from the extinct British ones and bring them back. And it's just an overview of that whole project. It's really interesting look at conservation, uh, biodiversity, and how like a lot of local partners need to join in to make a thing happen. But he's just a very interesting man with lots of personality. He's, he opens with like uh, a prologue he opens with a prologue about his own childhood and he's like i wasn't always the best at looking after animals he just gives you a list of all the pets he killed oh no yeah that's like, sad. all the terrible ways he didn't know how to look after animals and you're like i had a rural childhood without doing this my dude you failed you you failed at this yeah but it's um, a very interesting nice story if you want something optimistic about conservation i know a lot of people do it's a difficult time to be working in conservation or caring about it at all this is a nice one um i just want to give a shout out to my two favorite junior books that i read mm-hmm. so i read no ballet shoes in syria mm-hmm. which is about a little girl who comes to england as a refugee and is trying to settle into the community and she joins a ballet school and she experiences racism and she experiences like the difficulty of the refugee settlement program and there's just some very nice English people who are very nice to her and help her out and there's some who are not and her father has passed he didn't make the journey Mm -hmm. and her mother is like not doing very well doesn't have any English very limited English and is really struggling and so this like little 11 year old girl is like holding her family together and finds a lot of peace in um, ballet which she used to in Syria and the place that they're staying is over a ballet studio and they do that it's nice it's written by um an english school teacher Mm -hmm. um who part of her motivation was trying to explain what's happening in syria and with the refugee crisis to her students Mm. um it's a fictionalized tale but it it i felt like it was very powerful and definitely very interesting way to start a discussion with 10 plus kids about the topic was it so it was a junior book but it wasn't like picture book no 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 10 to 10 plus yeah definitely a very good way to start a conversation with kids about this situation um and the child herself Aya, is quite like traumatized by what's happened Mm -hmm. um and she does like reference like sometimes they're in ballet and she's just like it's so good to be in ballet because even though it reminds me of being of doing ballet in syria and the people that have died and the losses that we've had it still like is a is something that i had then and that i have now mm-hmm. um and it's it's a good book yeah that sounds sweet like um yeah and then the other junior book that i've been recommending a lot is tin by Podrick kenny mm-hmm. and that's also kind of a 10 10 years plus and it's about it's kind of an alternative England but it's it's set kind of in the early 1900s like it's it's an alternative universe kind of situation where they have a lot more a lot more robotics but they're not living in like the modern era that we are Mm -hmm. there's a lot more robots around and they figured out a way of imbuing robots with souls okay um and Honestly, as an adult, I find the concepts terrifying, but the kids love it and I really enjoyed it. Um, And it's illegal to put like a soul into, a human soul into a 
into a robot. But this one kid, it he thinks he's a real boy, but it turns out that he is um, a soul animated robot. And everyone, all the other robots are just animated. They don't actually have a soul. A soul. Was um, he, did the kid that he was pass away? Or what's yes. his story? Okay. It's, um, I don't want to give too much away, but they he's trying to find out why he has a soul. Okay. Um, and he's adventuring on that. And also, it's illegal, so he gets kidnapped from where he is, and that's how he discovers he has a soul. Because okay. he was just happily living a life, being like, I'm a real boy, but then it turns out he's a robot. Um, and there's other robots, and they're like, well, we're going to go find Christopher, because he's our friend, and he's a good guy. So, And also, because adults don't want to be threatened by robots, it is illegal to make a robot that is animated that is adult sized Mm -hmm. so all of the robots are kind of kids are kids um which i found distressing isn't this kind of what happens in fallout 4 no no i thought there was a robot and you didn't know you were a robot in fallout oh you could be a synth yeah and some synths didn't know that they were synths okay yeah but it's mostly that other people didn't know who was a human and who was a synth and they mm. just started killing each other. Not cool. Because of suspicion. That's in not Fallout a good 4. Reason. Not in not in Tin. <laughs> yeah, no, those were all my books for the year. Yeah, same. Um, I mean, there's a lot that we haven't managed to touch on. Like, I read a lot of the original Sherlock Holmes, would mm-hmm. recommend. Um, definitely a nicer crime story than we tend to get these days. Where's yeah. my twee little murder stuff? more complex than an Agatha Christie but like not very challenging very good what do you want to read in 2020 um I think I want to read more books that I haven't Mm. I'm not really sure I'm gonna finish out I started um I started Holly Black's Folk of the Air Mm -hmm. series um during the during December so I'm gonna finish that out so there's like the third book to read those are really interesting Mm -hmm. they're all about Faye and uh, it's basically, what if we had intense politics, but with a little bit of magic? I love that. It's very That's good. That's fantasy. That's the entire fantasy. fantasy. Um, it's very, very good. Um, so I'm going to finish those out. I'm going to keep an eye to see if Mary Watson, I've read two of her books recently, um, The Wren Hunt and Wicker Lice, and I think that she might have a book coming out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read that. Uh, Lisa Hethfield is one of my favorite authors ever. She released a book this year that unfortunately I didn't love, but did enjoy for what it was. I thought her earlier books were slightly better, mm-hmm. but their topics were less ho- hitting, home hitting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think that she has a book coming out late in 2020 as well. And then after that, um, there's a couple of more new releases that are adult books that I'm looking at hitting. Sisters of the Vast Black is a book that I'm looking at reading. Love the title. Yeah, it's about nuns in space. Interesting. So that's by uh, Linda Rather. Do we I'm have gonna a space read that. Jesus? I don't know. I haven't Jesus. read it yet. It was recommended to me. I'm going to read that. Mm-hmm. Um, Shades of Grey by Jasper Ford is the first in a series that I'm looking forward to reading. And it's about a universe in which it's kind of brand new world mm-hmm. in which people have been genetically modified from birth for certain roles mm-hmm. and the way in which this has happened is that they are selectively color blinded mm-hmm. um, and if you are part of certain classes then you can only see certain colors 
and it goes through this and then this one person I think is going to start seeing colours that they're not supposed to see I think I'm not entirely sure yet all of your books are new yes I am a lot of them came out in 2019 um, because a lot of the books that I have my eye on at the moment are authors that I've read previously that have books coming out or Goodreads did their best of 2019 and I went through that recently to be like oh that sounds like a book I want to read all of the books so, yeah. I want to read in 2020 are very old. <laughs> so um, my big thing is every single year since I was about 16, I've been like, must read Les Mis. I love Les Mis. I love all the adaptions. This is Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, 18, sorry, 1800, 17th century French book. It is called The Brick by fans because it is a brick. It is massive. I've got a translation of it. Um, the Rose translation, I believe, on my shelf for years. Read a little bit occasionally. Would love to read it. Also want to read Lord of the Rings. Equally a brick, equally dense. Who knows if I'll actually do it. If you read the Lord of the Rings, I'll be so impressed because it's actually you might you might get into it because it's just like page after page after page of descriptions of trees that's what i love also i tried to read it when i was a teenager and i was like this is far too much like descriptions of trees this is too much pastoral england yeah and, yeah but i love pastoral england i don't love england i love pastoral scenes uh the other thing i would like to read is something by john mcgahern i've read some of his short stories before but he is a writer who is from my locality. He was called Ireland's greatest living novelist at a time. He did die since. <laughs> He's also my grandmother's cousin. Mm, and my, family connection. Mm, my grandmother passed away in the last year. So I'd like to read something. Something that gives me a bit more insight into the life she led. Because all of John McGahern's books are set quite locally to the area I grew up in. But it's an area that's changed a lot with the years. So it would be nice to see a little time capsule so my reading of the third policeman and waiting for gatto bit of a prep for more rural irish surreality and um probably another john green probably gonna read tiffios this year reread mm, it very good yeah so those were our books of 2019 uh we hope that you enjoy this bonus episodes three pods in december you're spoilt mm -hmm. and we'll be back in january where i will be reading the wren hunt by mary watson which is um an irish book wonderful she's a, a south african author living um in ireland now lovely and it's it's set here and it's about some of our myths i saw a wren on saint stephen's day i realized i'm really happy for you yeah good job it's like i'm not gonna kill you because that's a weird tradition and i'm not gonna do it do you yeah. not know about the wren boys i know about the wren boys yeah i know about the wren boys in the in the in the wren hunt she is an actual girl called wren who every stephen's day the local boys are like ha your name is wren we're gonna hunt you <laughs> <laughs> oops yeah it's a whole thing. <laughs> well, I look forward to hearing you tell me about it. Well, so yeah, Thanks goodbye. Thanks for listening, Thanks guys. Thanks for listening. Have a happy new year and stick with us through 2020 because we're going to keep reading and talking about it. Yeah. Talk to you all then. Bye. Bye.